Good morning. <coughs> Good morning and welcome to Coffee Moaning. Um, I hope you're well. I thought I'd wear my Boy Scouts outfit today. <laughs> I'm a member of the Cub Scouts. Uh, it's actually an old G-Star shirt, but I feel like a Boy Scout. Dib, dib, dob, dob, and all the rest of it. If you're listening on podcast, apologies. I'm wearing a full Boy Scout outfit. So you might you might fancy going over to YouTube to check that out. Morning, April Hill. Morning, Lucia. Morning, Steph Whelan. How are we all? Um, there's a really curious, just, just kicking off with something. You know what it's like when you meet people, when you see people, when you have an anatta first thing in the morning. The first thing that struck me was apparently there's a news story floating around that, that Donald Trump is not at all happy about Fox News using the really orange photos of himself. Uh, and as someone quite rightly identified, um, is, that, is that really at the, at the top of his worries, list of worries right now? Is which photos, Fox News? Yeah, I think he's a bit aggrieved that people only ever use silly photos. I mean, I must admit, with Boris Johnson, I always like a silly photo, but then he pulls a silly face. If they pull a silly face, you've got to pull a silly photo. Fa- you've got to use a silly photo. Um, how are we all? It's Friday. It's raining in London. Is it raining? Is it raining where you are? Perhaps? It's, some, it's really, really weird. Some days it sounds like I can hear you all, and some days I feel like I can't. So could you all shout in unison right now, good morning, or shout coffee moaning, or something like that? Um, why does it say Saturday? Oh, yeah, it says Saturday papers. That's annoying, isn't it? That's a hangover. That's a hangover. It's not the Saturday papers at all. I wonder if I can change that. Let's have a look. Uh, no, I can't. Let's see if I can change it on here. Uh, oh, hang on. Uh, the dynamic camera grid automatically. Oh, got it. No, we don't want that, do we? Cancel. Oh, what's happened? Don't want that. Uh, oh, hang on. Let's see if I can change it here. Solo layout, Saturday papers, remove from stream. Uh, no, can't change it, I'm afraid. You're going to have to stick with me. Afraid it's the Saturday papers. Good morning, says Vicky Waiting. Why does it always rain when it reaches the weekend? Asks Zoe Agnew in the live stream. Let's just say it's Saturday. Let's just say, it. yeah, but then we don't get Saturday, do we? Then tomorrow's Sunday. And then we miss we miss Saturday. So let's not say, I don't know. I know what you're saying. It's very miserable in Nottingham, but not raining yet, uh, says Helen Groves. Um, good morning, everyone. I hope you're all well. Um, you'll have probably seen from the title one of the top stories. This this story broke yesterday, didn't it? Um, the sad passing away of Sir Michael Parkinson. I, one wants to say tragic. It's always tragic. It's always sad. I mean, tragic, I think, is such a sort of loaded word. So I don't know. You know, tragic. I don't know if it's tragic. He led a full life, like so many people of over a certain age. But um, and so many people over a certain age haven't. But I mean, I, you know, I, I, you hear the word tragic, but it's sad. It's definitely, definitely sad. And what do you think, guys? I mean, for anyone who's not from the UK, uh, Michael Parkinson was a sort of chat show host. He was our sort of first celebrity chat chat show host. I mean, when I say celebrity, I mean he became a celebrity himself. But he was renowned for getting interviews with really top end kind of, you know, not not, not just um, people of, 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 you know, show business and what have you, but sport. I mean, you remember his Muhammad Ali, George Best, you know, he did, he did lots of David, you know, interviews with all sorts of, of people. He, he kind of they say that he kind of he, he kind of launched Billy Connolly's career much in the same way that Terry Wogan did. Uh, with Terry Christian, it's not Terry Christian. What's the name of the guy from Red Dwarf? 
what's the name of the Liverpudlian um, Scouse poet? Do you know what I mean? But anyway, so Michael Parkinson, so the front of all the papers today, let's have a little look at them. The front of all the papers today uh, have uh, goodbye to the best, um, Michael Parkinson, 1935 to 2023. And there's a sort of photo amalgamation of all of his guests there on the front of the Metro. Uh, Craig Charles, thank you very much. That's it. The front of the mirror. So Michael Parkinson, king of the chat show, dies at 88. Incredible story of a miner's son with touch of stardust. Um, the king, obviously, infamously. Um, again, for those of you in the UK, we used to have a an entertainer called Rod Hull and Emu, and Emu was a an emu with his hand up it, which would attack people. Um, yeah, yeah, that was it. It was kind of, I think it was kids' entertainment, but it kind of reached into adult entertainment. I mean, again, it was another one of those aspects of 1970s entertainment that I don't think you'd be able to get away with in today's landscape. Um, but yeah, he was famously attacked on the show. Uh, kind of went a bit too far, I think. Um, obviously, interviewed Muhammad Ali, the greatest. Very tense, very terse interview. Uh, Vicky Waiting, not sure why Emi was funny, but he was. Yeah, it was the, I think it was the fact that he had sudden attacks, didn't he? He'd have a sudden... You knew it was coming, but it was all about the timing. Yeah, very odd. Um, Mr. Front of the Guardian, there is Michael Parkinson. King of Chat, Chat dies 88. Um, front of the Telegraph, there he is again. Those lovely big almond, slopey shaped eyes. And there he is, really nice photograph of him laughing on the front of the Times. Um, I think without him, it would be safe to say you wouldn't have someone like Gray. I think the only person who comes close to doing something similar um, war, is Graham Norton. But yeah, please share with me, share with us who your favourite interviewee was. Jane Bentley says uh, the Les Dawson interview was quite famous too. I mean, so many of them were, were great. Peter Kay's video, uh, Amarillo. Amar oh, yes, yes, was really good. Parky was, not it, wasn't it? Um, there is Peter Sellers. Um, there he is, Billy Ke Billy Kennelly, Billy Connolly, even. Um, you know, he, he had some absolute sort of standout stars. And very famously, he interviewed Meg Ryan, and she gave him, like, one-word answers, didn't she? Um, what had happened there? Catherine Cronin, what a lovely thing to say. He epitomised um, safety and relaxation. Yeah, I mean... Graham Norton, I totally agree, it's a lovely way of putting it. Um, and someone said there can't be Graham Norton, Steph Whelan. Graham Norton is a different kind of A-list interviewer, isn't he? He's a kind of roaster. He sort of roasts them. Whereas Parkinson was was much more interested in, uh, he was that old-fashioned kind of, he was warm, he was avuncular. He wasn't interested in, in laying traps for his interviewees. But he was interested because, you know, sometimes you can have someone who lays a trap and you can see that they're just after the headline. They're just after the trip up. They're just after the kind of, you know, the clickbait in modern day parlance and all that kind of stuff. They're, they're looking for their moment. They're, they're, they're sort of pound ounce of flesh, if you like. Um, and what he did was he will have always obviously have known that there was a killer point or a crunch piece of information or a tricky, touchy, tetchy part of their life or career that he wanted to home in on. But he never made it obvious. And I think when he got there, I always remember him, and I remember watching him from my grandfather's sort of knees, if you like. And his first show was in 1971. 
I remember watching him and I remember thinking, God, this guy is incredibly uh, charming and not creepy, but he would just get into quite serious conversations. I just, I, I just like that. Um, Sir Elton John said he was a real icon. He brought out the very best in his guests. Michael Caine, likewise, said he brought the best out of everyone he met. He always wanted the interviewee to shine. And I think that's interesting, too, is that even if he had someone on, um, oh, wow, Helen Mirren interview was the one that woke me up to sexism in the industry. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. Um, even though he was after his headline, if you like, but not as obviously as anyone else, and even though he would probably take most interviewees through a journey where the viewer got something really unique and special and different, something they hadn't heard before, I think as um, David Attenborough said there, he, wa- he, did, he was ultimately always interested in the welfare, but you know, it was an in, it was an interview for the interviewee. So even if he hit upon a difficult subject, it would have been done classily, if you know what I mean. So, you know, so it's a real loss, and it's a real skill. It's a real skill to do what he did. And I, you know, I'm loath to say, oh, the good old days and all that malarkey and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, things have moved so far. I mean, look at, you know, you know, where we put out content, what we do, modern life. It's just different, isn't it? I mean, television is no longer the the big, the big sort of destination place that it used to be for for behind or in front of the camera or for stars and celebrities. I mean, just look at social media, for example. Um, You know, he he but he what I think he did have. He almost had on television, he presented on television the most sophisticated and sort of nuanced form of interviewing that you will often get like in a, if you're reading a magazine and you get a four page features interview with someone, it was like that, but on telly. So he had that capacity. Terry Wogan was very good too, Ellery Jones. You're absolutely right. Terry Wogan was good. I like Terry Wogan. He was good. He was the he was the sort of other biggie. But I don't know. Michael Parkinson seemed to sort of you felt Michael Parkinson was respected by the people he interviewed, even if they didn't like him. I think that's the important. Oliver Reed didn't he run in with a he didn't run in with a gun, but didn't he sort of didn't, didn't he kick didn't he smash things up or something? Wasn't it diabolical? Um, yeah, his mother in law dated. Terry. Wow, Catherine Cronin. Sorry, just someone screaming in the street. He was respected and was respectful, says Sandy. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, A couple of other elements of his story that I just thought were interesting to share. Piers Morgan. Now, you know, we're not big fans of Piers Morgan. But Piers Morgan talked interestingly about uh, today. And in fact, actually, we're going to talk about what makes a narcissist. And when I was, I I found this story first, and then I was looking at the narcissistic story, and I was thinking, what was the intention behind? So Piers Morgan remembering Michael Parkinson, but really Piers Morgan remembering Michael Parkinson is about him remembering how he was the only interviewer to get the interviewer of all interviewers to cry. And then I was thinking, hmm. Mm. Well, let's have a look at the word narcissism in a, in a minute. So, but let's just treat this for what it was in terms of Sir Michael Parkinson. This was the moment that, uh, in his life stories, Piers Morgan interviewed him. Apparently, in the in the green room or in the dressing room beforehand, Michael Parkinson said, "You know, the last fucking thing you're going to get me to do is cry." 
Uh, I love it. You know, he's a sturdy, was he Barnsley? Barnsley Yorkshireman, wasn't he? He was a Yorkshireman through and through that sort of tough, slightly grumpy, but you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to crack a nut. You're not going to crack. And my granddad wishes he was from Yorkshire. He was from Stoke. He had such admiration to my granddad. I mean, and in fact, Michael Parkinson reminds me of my grandfather, except my grandfather, very in great contrast to Parkinson, didn't say much at all, <laughs> unfortunately. But he was of that generation. Anyway, so Piers Morgan was talking about when he was on Live Stories, Parky said to him, you're not going to make me cry, you know, I'm, I'm tough as old boots, me. Um, and then, of course, they got talking about Parkinson's father. Um, and Michael Parkinson was talking about how when his father died, he was a pit man, you know, he worked in the pits. Um, and when he died, he remembers them, him dead and them sort of transporting his body essentially in a bag, uh, you know, a, a sort of a body bag, I guess, of sorts from, from their home. And he remembered thinking, is this really all his life amounts to? I mean, obviously, no one who dies amounts to the flesh and bones that are, that are there on the table. But And in that moment, he broke down. Uh, and he broke down massively and uh, they had to stop recording. Um, and this is a still from it. And I just, the reason this really kind of hit me, because I want to also share with you, someone mentioned it just a moment ago, Dickie Bird, who was a cricketing umpire or is a cricketing umpire, uh, was very good friends with Michael Parkinson. And I just want to show you an interview with Dickie Bird, which was done yesterday, I think, uh, remembering, remembering Michael Parkinson. And, you know, almost sort of reaching out from the legacy that is quite clearly Michael Parkinson's interviewing career and who he is and what he did this idea of men of a certain age you know men of that really different age of a different culture a different upbringing a, a tougher environment a, you know there wasn't room for emotion there wasn't room for feelings and I thought proud Yorkshireman that proud Yorkshireman stiff upper lip thing you know we've got a bit of it I mean, a couple of sort of guys see them you know it's that kind of you know real adm admirably tough and then beneath it all they had to stop recording because it, he was caught literally caught unawares by his upset and he said my god I just that was obviously 40 years of grief he threw it away by saying sorry I started to blub and fall apart and all that kind of stuff as, as they would but it put me in mind I mean I don't know if any of you guys have had this I remember one time my granddad um, really breaking down and crying and you know in a weird way what makes it all the more emotional is knowing not knowing that they felt that but didn't show it because I, th I think for some reason what I'm trying to say is for some reason don't you think we all try and sort of hold it in high esteem the idea that you stiff stiff up lip is seen as a good thing and in some regards of course it is because otherwise we'd all be blubbering messes walking out of doors all the time wouldn't we and yet if only so many men and women of, a, of previous generations could have felt safe feeling and expressing what they felt. That's my loss around my granddad, is that I feel that there were rivers ran deep, but there was no cultural or generational opportunity for him in any way, not even if he, want, even if he wanted to, to know how to access those emotions. And I think it's at moments like this around loss that you really see how deeply churning and emotional someone who otherwise normally seems really tough can be. Kylie Mitchell, absolutely. Nothing wrong with having a good cry. That's exactly what I'm saying. But what I'm interested in here is the generational difference. And we must all have had grandfathers and grandmothers. My grand, my nan, Nanny Thelma, didn't cry much. Didn't cry much. I remember her crying when her 
her brother died. That was it. But I'm just going to show you. This is Dickie Bird, who, if you don't know who Dickie Bird is, he's a he's probably one of our most famous historic cricketing umpires. Uh, but they were they were Yorkshiremen. They were friends, I believe, since the age of 14. I just think this is really, really moving. I, uh, first of all, I, when I heard the news this morning, uh, I was completely stunned and shocked, and uh, I shed a few tears because I've known Sir Michael since he was 14. We, we were 14-year-old kids in Barnsley here, the son of coal miners. Uh, because, you know, Barnsley was a coal mining town in those days. And uh, I was completely shocked because I only spoke to him yesterday. We had a long chat yesterday. I know he hasn't been well. He hasn't been well at all. And uh, his voice yesterday, it, it, it didn't sound as if it was strong. It, it was a weak voice I heard. And uh, I knew then that there was something wrong with him. We 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 we, uh, we cracked a few jokes together. We we had a few tears in our eyes, and uh, we said goodbye, goodbye to each other at the end of the foreman call, as if we had this feeling that we wouldn't see each. <laughs> Excuse me. I had this feeling we wouldn't see each other again. And, uh, and uh, you know, we said goodbye and that was it. And uh, as I've known Michael for, what, 74 years now, and he's been my close friend, not only my close friend, but my very, very special friend. And uh, it was so, t so sad when I heard the news this morning. And Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, I, I mean, I think there's a, a the personal contingent to that is my granddad was a huge fan of Dickie Bird, the umpire as well. But I mean, oh, my God. I mean, just to be caught like that. And he's talking about male friendship of a time, you know, the intensity of feeling is always this is the thing. The intensity of feeling is always there for us humans. Even, you know, even if you put on the most the harshest exterior deep deep in there i mean i remember interestingly years ago i made a film with janet street porter and you know she's a tough cookie i mean she's a tough cookie she squared up to me at one point she wanted to walk off set early i said absolutely not and weirdly she kind of you know when she's met with light with light she'll respect that and there was one moment where we we used to make a show which was a bit like this is your life and someone had sent a message to her and we played this message to her and i was watching i was on the camera filming her and we were filming her in extreme close-up and as she turned back round to to uh, Nigel, who was in, interviewing her, she said, you nearly, nearly made me cry. And it was like, and the point about that is, is that she would comes across as so profoundly tough and impenetrable. And like, she wouldn't court that kind of emotion. And so... It was an it was a it was a really nice moment because you saw everyone in our crew immediately sort of soften because it was quite a bristly environment and suddenly went oh you know she she you know she too feels breathes eats loves and all the rest of it and so when you see someone as tough as him and you just see it you can't you can't get away from it you can't escape it you can't if you you know the feelings you might hide them you might deny them you might prevent them um, but wow she you know it's just it's a toughie. It's a toughie. 
Um, so, you know, so I don't know. I just, I just find the whole, the, the, the big story around, uh, you know, Michael Parkinson um, and, and seeing Dick, Dickie Bird's emotional response um, and that generational thing. What were so many, I mean, you know, we know that men were in control in, in, throughout history, but what were so many men and women of, the, the, of our grandparents' generation? What were they really feeling? And I think, again, thinking about Michael Parkinson's skill as an interviewer, wow, that a man of his background, of his upbringing, the toughness, wouldn't have courted kind of emotions, that he could be such a nuanced, layered, caring, but firm prober, if you like, of celebrity. Wow. I think, I think really, yeah, something quite, quite significant has been lost there that I don't think we'll ever, not ever get again because the landscape's changed. But I don't think we'll even ever be able to quite fully comprehend what skills are required to be that. Do you know what I mean? Um, so there we go. That was Michael Parkinson. Now, as I was briefly mentioning there, Piers Morgan was talking about how he was the only man to get Michael Parkinson to crack. Um, and then I was looking into um, what is narcissism. OK, I want to ask you all, what for you? OK, first of all, do any of you live in the shadows of, alongside or in relation to uh, what you would call a narcissist. Because the term narcissism itself, although it's a term that we all use, narcissistic personality disorder, I think as we remember from the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case, I don't think it's strictly speaking is a psychoanalytical condition or psychotherapeutic condition, is it? But, but, but share with us, share with us. Whilst I have a sip from my sex breath <laughs> I know someone who went out with a narcissist, says Tony Dunsford. Um, the ego of peers is too much Rio chap. Um, my mother, I'm afraid, Anne-Marie Lucker. Uh, oh, you poor thing. That must be tough for the parent. That's, um, okay, so and what is, well, what is narcissistic, Julie? It's a big question, isn't it? Narcissism. This is a sort of sense of, what is narcissism? Narcissism is a sense of grandiosity. A sense of, I mean, a good example that people often sort of reach towards is Donald Trump as a, or Elon Musk as a kind of perfect manifestation of uh, narcissism, a sort of self-obsession, a sort of belief that one is better than others, a desire to be seen as better than others, uh, an inability to ever take ownership or, or responsibility for your own behavior when it hurts others, i.e., you know, if you get hurt as a narcissist, it's someone else's fault. But if as a narcissist, you hurt someone else, they made you do it. I think that's a really key aspect of this. Um, so the chances are everyone has encountered a narcissist. I do genuinely think one of the dangerous aspects of narcissism at all. Um, here we go. Look, Zoe, I, I got out of a very toxic narcissistic friendship a few months ago. Best feeling ever feeling of freedom. Uh, Natasha Milchin, my mother's got a narcissistic side for sure. Um, someone who never thinks about anyone else or feels guilt. Faith Goodman. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, a, an aspect of narcissism and so being a sociopath in a sense is no sense of sort of moral. You don't feel shame or guilt or responsibility. Uh, BK, mother is a narcissist. Um, Steph Whelan, yes, my best friend is dating a narcissist. He smashed up a wardrobe because she looked at another man, apparently. Then she, then he, then she apologized for it. Oh my God. Um, Moira Instance, I live with a narcissist and oh my God, it's a nightmare. Can't afford to get away. Oh, sweetheart. 
Uh, YT user narcissism makes my skin crawl. It makes my skin crawl. Yeah, uh, Erin. Hi, Erin. How are you? I don't know if my mother is on is one or not. She's certainly convinced that everyone else in the world is the problem and not her. Interesting point you make there, Erin, actually. Here's the thing. I think what we have, I think we use the term narcissism very quickly in selfie culture. We're all taking images of ourselves. One of the weird things about selfie, selfie culture is, it's although it's everywhere, everyone taking images of themselves, Taking photographs has been around for years. Family albums have been around for years. Having photographs and portraits on your walls isn't isn't a completely new phenomenon. So th- the act of taking photographs of yourself, I don't think, automatically means you're a narcissist. I think there's a narcissism, lowercase n, little tiny word, in everyone, insofar as everyone is them. And in a sense, if you have any sort of any, if you're thinking about yourself in any sort of not obsessive way, you know, it's that the idea behind the word selfish. Yeah, you can use the word you're selfish, you're selfish, you know what a selfish person is, but there's also being yourself. You can only actually be yourself in this world, can't you? So there is the act of being yourself. So I think parking that to the side, accepting that we all have an aspect of essentially having an image of ourselves and all that kind of stuff. What are the, here's nine signs of not having narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, one, and it's quite a good acronym. This acronym is quite useful. You know, like the one I use from um, a 12-step recovery program, which is when people ask you if you're okay and you say, yeah, I'm fine. They said to us in rehab, they said fine is, a, is, a, is one of those words that, that's just used to kind of hold people at arm's length, to hold people at bay, parry them away. Fine, standing for. False information nicely expressed. How are you feeling? Fine, but you're not fine. Um, it's not necessarily saying you need to open it. I mean, I always remember my nan saying when she worked in the corner shop, she said, I asked someone the other day how they were, and they actually, Mark it, they actually told me. I wish they'd leave me alone. They won't stop telling me how they are. I mean, I just ask it. Anyway, so in that instance, she wished they did say fine. Um, but yeah, so nine signs of narcissism. But yeah, this acronym is really good. Look at this. I found this. Special me. So each of these sort of nine traits of narcissism, um, it, it, if you put them all together, it spells special me. So let's have a look at them. They are. See if these resonate. One, sense of self-importance. Two, preoccupation with power, beauty, or success. Three, entitlement or entitled. Four, can only be around people who are important or special. Yeah, haven't got time for ordinary Joes, in other words. Uh, Five, interpersonally exploitative for their own gain, just seeing what they can get out of everyone. Six, arrogant. Seven, lack empathy. Eight, must be admired. Nine, envious of others or believe that others are envious of them. Does that resonate? It's a pretty good list. It's a pretty good list. Um, Let's have a look at this. Bonnie Delaney, cluster B personalities are described as a dark triad by us in the field. Wow, Bonnie, that is interesting. Someone's asked, what field are you in? I want to know. Wow. Um, Yeah. I Now, yeah, so hmm, what is narcissism? It's it's tricky, isn't it? Um, 
But one of the interesting things is that there's a new report uh, in a science sort of journal, from an American science journal, talking about the fact that more often than not, we think that the narcissist is all about grandiosity, superiority, feeling the best, you know, being sort of, you know, um, really bold and kind of, you know, believing you're invincible, the Messiah complex, almost feeling like you're kind of, you've been put on earth and everyone is gaining from your approach. But but this, there's an interesting article about the idea that there is a flip side to narcissism, where the predominant presentation, if you like, or emotional presentation can be a vulnerability. Um, you know, it's not just people who are grandiose and what have you, but narcissism can work through um, being sort of, you know, introverted too and interior and kind of selfish and self-obsessed in a sort of, you know, it, essentially it's all about you, but you might not be kind of pro- pro- proposing to the world that you're the biggest and the best thing and the most important thing. You could be suggesting quite the opposite. So you can get narcissists. They are looking into the idea that there is a sort of two opposite ends of the spectrum if you like when it comes to narcissism the sort of the if you like for want of a better expression the sort of Donald Trump expression but then at the other end uh, of an incredibly sort of um, enclosed retreated hidden self-harming almost I think of, think of extreme self-harm as a kind of uh, as and, and that's not to say people it, see the problem with all these things the problem with all these tags is as soon as you use one phrase people go well no not, not everyone who does that that doesn't mean everyone who self-harms or everyone is vulnerable all that kind of stuff but I do think it's interesting I was worried that it was sat then looking at the tag on screen oh you thought it was Saturday is what you mean um, Tony Dunsford everyone else's fault all the silent treatment makes the victim feel like they're going mad all control based yeah absolutely so it's not just about and, and, and that's a good point because actually the activities of a narcissist aren't just about um, winning and proving they've won and, and being sort of taking the front foot in that regard it can also be that they will withdraw their sort of effect, affection or their attention or their interest in you in a really aggressive fashion. I mean, a, a classic, classic example of that is, you know, you can have re- passive aggressivity. For me, passive aggressive is one of the most aggressive aggressives there are because passive aggressivity seeks to hide behind a cultural assumption that just aggressive in and of itself is so much worse that to be passive aggressive can't be as bad. And actually, it so can. Believe me, I have great, great experience of this. Passive aggression. I mean, trolls engage in huge, huge... They spend all their time being passively aggressive because to be aggressive-aggressive, it gets you blocked (laughs) quite quickly. So passive aggressivism is a huge part, I think, of narcissists and and, and in, in fact, trolling, trolling is an interesting one because I think, you know, the whole troll action, we're, we're researching a project about trolls where, you know, the, the act of trolling is a narcissistic fix. You're wanting, it's about them. They're wanting to get their attention. They're wanting to cause, you know, some kind of, you know, explosion. It, but it's, it's not actually about who they're going for. It's about them. It's about them. Um, so passive aggressivity for me is a huge key component. And and there are lots of studies showing that if you are living or struggling with or trying to work out, then no amount of changing, course changing, was it course correcting, shifting your behavior, shifting your strategy, tactics with someone you're related to or friends with who is a narcissist, no amount of reconfiguring yourself in position to them is going to work. Because go back to this idea. 
anything for a narcissist, anything that, they, you know, if, if anyone hurts them, it's the person who's hurt them's fault, as it is for anyone. But if they hurt anyone, the narcissist, it's everyone else's fault because they've been forced to do it. So the uh, gaslighting, classic example, gaslighting, passive aggressivity, they all start to feed into each other. Manipulation, etc. Um, is being a victim all the time narcissism? I don't know if that's necessary. I don't know. Again, I don't know. You have to go case by case basis. But I think that's kind of that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. You know, the idea that the person feels everyone and everything everyone does is everyone else's fault. And in fact, you know, the weird thing about mental health and crises and having breakdowns and being an emotional mental health person with mints is that nothing's anyone's fault, really. You are just reacting and responding and processing stuff. So the, yeah, so the, and then there's the cruelty. Then there's the cruelty. Thank you, emotional urban homestead. Please follow her if you can. Um, it's the emotional cruelty. I mean, the, the thing I have, where I struggle with the term narcissism, I don't know if any of you who, who live with or struggle with this, being, working with this, um, is when people say, almost by saying it's narcissism, there's a kind of letting them off the hook. There's a kind of, well, they're not really aware that they're doing this. So therefore, but when you come across moments with the narcissist where there are acts or not again, once again, passive aggressive acts. So things that aren't done or things that are undone or things that are unsaid or things that have been said and then are reset in a different way and denied. I mean, another thing that I think happens with a lot of narcissists, they try to rewrite the truth. They try to rewrite what's happened to suit their narrative of feeling victimized or being in control. So you're right. I think a part of narcissism are on the vulnerability side of it. So you've got, you've got the grandiosity side. You've got the vulnerability side. I think the vulnerability side is about using the vulnerability to gain almost emotional grandiosity within your human relationships. Why to use it? They are aware that they're doing it. It's consciously planned out meticulously. That's the part of it that I struggle with because I'm more than willing than the next person to be empathetic about this and say, okay, okay well, they're struggling with narcissism. But when you see in black and white the behavior, the comments, the, the, the deletion of comments, the, the changing of this, the saying of that, the shifting of what was the truth, the talking about my truth when we all know the shared truth, trying to pretend that things were tilted differently in order to justify the, the narcissist's vulnerable fix so they can get their hit. When you look at the details of it, it's sometimes very hard not to think that it's been done aggressively and purposefully. And that's really tough. Amy B, they live in an imaginary world where they believe they're right. And then when you're dealing with that, you're dealing, it's like dealing with, it's like someone in an alternate universe, which is why the only recommendation the only recommendation, and it's really meaningful, is to completely step back from the relationship. It's the only way. It's the only way. You've got to starve them of what they call their narcissistic supply. So there you go. It's just some thoughts. It's just some thoughts. I mean, I, I just know a lot of people um, struggle with the idea of narcissism and how it presents. And I was just struck by the idea that we have the most obvious examples but actually it can present in some pretty curious, curious ways. Um, I was going to talk about the story, but I'm going to leave that one to Nads because she wanted to do it on Coffee Moaning, the idea of the TikTok influencer criticized for filming sad woman eating alone. But I'm going to, I'm going to hold that over, which means it's Friday. 
It's quiz of the week, guys. Hashtag fuck off fun Friday. Fuck off fun Friday. Should we do quiz of the week? Are we up for it? Are we all in the room? Faith? Should we go? Should we do? Should we should we should we should we do this thing? Get your pens and papers ready, guys and girls. We've got another five to ten minutes of quiz of the week, but I can't find the bloody quiz of the week. So hang on one second. Bear with me whilst you all get your pens and papers. Here it is. Got it here. Now, I had a little brief kind of scoot through this. This is a tough one. I'm telling you now, I think I'm only going to get two. So there were lots of people last week getting seven, was it? Or, or thereabouts, um, six or seven. But this week, I think I'm going to get two if I'm lucky. Sorry, I'm making a pick zero of this. So just one there we go. I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. So let me get rid of that. Let me get rid of that. Let me get rid of that. Bless him, Dickie Bird. That's just too, too heartbreaking. Seeing a generation, generation, a generation of older men and women when they get upset is just because you know for them it's just like a big, big no-no. And it shouldn't be a big, big no-no. I want to give my it's really weird. I've come out of this whole Michael Parkinson thing. I mean, I love my nan so much, and but we've talked about that so much. I came out of the, the Michael Parkinson thing, wanted to give my granddad a hug. Hmm. Yeah, made me miss him. And as I say, weird, because he'd have probably just sat behind his Daily Telegraph and not watched Michael Parkinson. I think he liked Michael Parkinson. I think he did, because he was a Yorkshireman. My granddad wanted to be a Yorkshireman, desperately. Last of the summer wine was always on. Okay, enough of this rambling. Um, okay, guys, so here we go. Question one. We up for it? Student Anastasia Mayers and her mother Keisha Shahaf made history as the first mother-daughter duo to visit space. But where is the Antigua-born teenager studying? Is it Aberdeen, St Andrews, or sorry, is it Aberdeen, Edinburgh, or St Andrews? <laughs> I didn't know the answer to this one. Student Anastasia Mayers and her mother Keisha made history as the first mother-daughter duo to visit space. Where is the Antigua-born teenager studying? Is it A, Aberdeen, B, Edinburgh, or C, St. Andrews? Lee Durrant, I've gone for the same answer. Absolutely gone for the same answer. Well, how are we doing? No, narcissism. 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 That's a good one. Just uh, sending a text. Um, the answer is A, Aberdeen. I'm just going to say Scotland, cheeky. BBC's, the BBC's historic Maida Vale Studios was sold to a group led by the Oscar composer Hans Zimmer, Oscar-winning composer. Although it was home to the best of the BBC's music for 90 years, for what purpose was the complex originally built? So what were the BBC's Maida Vale Studios originally built for? Was it A, a cinema, B, a concert hall, or C, an indoor roller skating rink? Good question. Um, the BBC's historic Maida Vale Studios was sold to a group led by Oscar-winning composer Hans Zimmer. Although it was home to the best of the BBC's music um, for 90 years, for what purpose was the complex originally built? Lots of you saying concert hall music, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Music studio, all that kind of cinema. I would have gone for cinema, but April Hill is right. It's actually an indoor roller skating rink. Um, question three. England football captain Harry Kane joined German champions Bayern Munich on a four-year deal. 
ending his record-breaking career at Tottenham. During his time at Spurs, Kane was the Premier League's top scorer three, time, three times. Which two other players but also won three golden boots? So which of these which of these pairs of other players achieved the same thing? Was it A, Wayne Rooney and Alan Shearer? B, Mohamed Salah and Wayne Rooney? Or C, Alan Shearer and Mohamed Salah? So which two other players also won uh, the golden three golden boots? That means being the league's top scorer three times. But which pair? Was it A, Wayne Rooney and Alan Shearer, B, Mohamed Salah and Wayne Rooney, or C, Alan Shearer and Mohamed Salah? Yeah, Jesus. I mean, talk about needing to know. Yeah, Jesus. Lee, do you see? You're a football fan. No, it's B. Yeah, sorry, it's not. It's C. C, Alan Shearer and Mohamed Salah. Flipping it. Wilco, the high street homeware retailer, question four, collapsed into administration after failing to secure a rescue deal. But where did the company open the first of its 400 stores? Was it A, Leicester, B, Liverpool, or C, Plymouth? Where did Wilco open the first of its 400 stores? A, Leicester, B, Liverpool, or C, Plymouth? How you doing, guys? Nought. Natasha Milchin, zero. Uh, A, it's Leicester. Quite a few of you got that right. Question five, a retired American football star whose story was adapted into an Oscar-winning movie, The Blind Side, has alleged that the film is built on lies. Michael Oher says he was never adopted and was instead allegedly tricked into an arrangement from which they made millions of dollars. But which team did uh, Michael Oher... Uh, but which team did Michael Oha win the Super But with which team did Michael Oha win the Super Bowl? This is the film, actually, that um, I think Sandra Bullock, there's a sort of, isn't there a social media sort of campaign to get her to lose her Oscar? How heartless is that right off the back of her losing her husband? And like it was her fault. I mean, for God's sake. So which football team? Was it A, the Baltimore Raven, Ravens, B, the Denver Broncos, or C, the New England Patriots? Guys, you aren't, I told you, I reckoned I was going to get one. I got this one wrong as well. Retired American football star who claims the film, The Blind Side, was all a pack of lies. What uh, American football team did uh, was he with when they won the Super Bowl? Was it A, the Baltimore Ravens, B, the Denver Broncos, or C, the New England Patriots? Butterfly Bell, you're right. It's the Baltimore Ravens. Question six. Let's hope we get this one. Oh, Christ. Question six. Tributes have been paid to the UK's first Eurovision singer, um, first Eurovision singer, Patricia Bredden, who died aged 88. But in which European city did the inaugural song contest take place? In which European city did the Euro first Eurovision song contest take place? Was it A, Brussels, B, Frankfurt, or C, Paris? A, Brussels, B, Frankfurt, or C, Paris? Butterfly Bell, I, you know what? I'm not doing well. Lee Durant, Dublin. Yeah, you get you're back of the class, Lee. Get, get, get to the back of the class right now. Um, the correct answer is Frankfurt. And final question. Final question. Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones. A newly found species of snake in Peru has been named after actor Harrison Ford in honour of his environmental work. And of course, the fact that Indiana Jones hates snakes. But which other kind of creature has also been named after the Indiana Jones and Star Wars star? So there's another creature that's been named after him. Was it A, an ant, B, a beetle, or C, a horsefly? I purely guessed this one based upon a particular scene or scenes in a particular Indiana Jones film. 
So which other creature is named after Harrison Ford? A, ant, B, beetle, or C, horsefly? Siobhan Jordan's out. <laughs> I give up, Mark, says Lee. It's a tough one. I told you it's a toughie this week, isn't it? Lots of you saying beetle. Natasha Milchin is saying ant. Odd China tea shop saying ant. Are you thinking of the same film I'm thinking of? You're right. It's ant. How many did you get, guys? How well or not did you do? Be honest. Be honest, guys. Remember, it's the winning, not the taking part that counts. So if you didn't get any, it's a bad day. Not out of seven, says Lynn Sheard. One. Ming. It's like from the sublime to the ridiculous. Last week it was like six or sevens everyone was getting. Look, one, two, nil. Ali P got four. Well done. Bloody hell. Well, four is good. In the April Hill, three. That's not bad at all. Dale Libertson, only one. I, that was atrocious for me. I have to say I got one. I got one. No good. Okay, guys, look, have a lovely Friday. Um, vloggy stuff is going to be landing this weekend. It's a pre-recorded uh, Curly Cooks tomorrow, but it will be premiering, so you can have a live chat 